Today's year begins the second line from the bottom of Daf Samach Zayin Omid Beis. You'll notice a triangle around Rabbi Hanina. This is the last of a series of incidents of stories involving Maisim that are associated with Tzedakah. This uh, Maisa also has in it an additional marking, a, a bow tie marking, which ties it into the previous bow tie shape that you see, where you see a situation, as we indicated on our on the side with our bow tie marking Mivne indicator, where the receiver of the Tztaka appears to be someone doesn't really need Tztaka. So Rabbi Hanino have Ahu Anyo Dahave Rogil Lishturi Le Arba Zuzi Komali Shabata. There was a particular Oni, an impoverished individual, that Rabbi Hanino was accustomed to sending him four Zuz, Zuz, a certain denomination of money, four Zuz every Erev Shabbos. Mali Shabbat Erev Shabbos. Yumochad, one time. One day, one time, Shadrinu Mihalei Biadavisu. He sent the money with his wife. In other words, Rabbi Hanin himself didn't go, but the wife went. Asoi, she came back. Omra lay, and she told her husband, Rabbi Hanin, this man doesn't need your stoka. My chosis, what did you see? So she answers, Shami Dahavikuamri lay. I heard that in his household they were asking him, Bima Ata Soed. And we, the Gemara continues at the top of Samach Chesom and Aleph Betoli Kesef or Betoli Zav. What do, should we set up on the table? Soed means eat. Are you? What kind of napkins do you want us to set out uh, for you to eat with? With silver ones or with gold ones? Rashi says that the Toli Kesef is a reference to linen, white linen ones, or uh, silk, silken colored ones. Uh, what's described here is a um, it's an individual that seems to be of, uh, of, of financial comfort, to, to put it lightly. Tysus points out at the top that in this story we don't see a reaction like we did in the previous story about a person that is, that is overly mefunaka, uh, a pampered individual. Because in the previous story, you were dealing with uh, the issue of uh, of wine being used for ziluf on the ground, for uh, keeping down the dust, as was the practice in those times with dirt floors. He apparently needed to have that wine fragrance, otherwise he wouldn't be able to function. That's an, a situation, an area in which pampering mifunok, uh, extremely delicate individual where that is a possibility and therefore he really has to be catered to here you're dealing with something that's a, an objective sign of opulence and hence this is someone that does not need uh, stoka. the type of napkin one uses is not th- that type of thing that uh, subjects an individual to uh, uh, to excessive pampering or a sign of uh, delicateness that, that uh, uh, and as a result he needs this rather if he's using these things he is definitely a well-to-do individual and now Rabbi Hanina goes on with a point a long point Omar Hainu the Omar Rebbe with this type of situation I now 
we can we can now appreciate that which Rebbe says. It's based on this that Rebbe says, "Bo v'nachzik toiva l'ramoyin." We owe a debt of gratitude toward the phonies, the ramoyin, the tricksters. If not for the fact that in the general public there are these kind of people, we would be guilty of sinning in the area of Tzedakah every day. Rashi says on the second line from that, We have a tendency to walk by people that, uh, let's say they stick their hands out, they, uh, they make themselves as if they're impoverished, and we don't pay attention to them. But now with the, this, let's say, awareness that there are phonies out there, it's, it's this that causes us to walk by uh, and not pay attention with us thinking that eh, maybe this guy's not for real. And since it's a reality that there are people there out there that are not for real, so from this Gemara, it then would be, from Rebelozer's comment, it would then be concluded that the fact that we walk by the poor man, we're not a sinner. Because if you didn't have, if you did not have phonies out there, walking by a, a poor man, or let's say walking by a, a, a definite poor man, that, and not, uh, not assisting him, not uh, aiding him, that would be a sin. Shinemar, the Pesach says, V'kora olecha el Hashem v'hoya b'chalchet. He will call out to Hashem, he will... He will uh, complain, so to speak, to the Almighty how people don't help him. And that is your sin. But as we just said, with thanks to the fact that there are fakers out there, that saves us from being guilty of this particular sin. Of course, this is given a situation where you... You you simply don't know the man's status. However, if there's someone that definitely needs assistance, and you have the means, you have some some wherewithal in order to uh, to assist him, that would be a problem. Vitani Rabbi Chia Barav Midifti, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Korcha Omer Kol Anyone who looks aside, hides himself from performing charity, kilu He's tantamount to being an idol worshiper, and this we see through a word comparison that's featured in the upcoming lines. It says in this context, this is a pasuk from Dvarim Perek Tezvav Pasuk Tes, which deals with the problem of. Uh, in, of the indigent and one who hides himself from them one who doesn't care for them is considered being uh, involved with a devar belial uksiv hasam and it says in the context of an idol worshipping city what's called an irhani dachas yatsu anoshem b'nei belial there you see again the same expression of belial the word blial means it's a compound word meaning bli oil without the yoke, without the yoke of heaven on him. So there just like over there in Dvorim Perak Yud Gimel Posuk Yudalit, it is a case of idol worship. Af Khan, so too within the context of hiding oneself from ignoring Stoka needs, Avidas Kehovim, it's considered as if one is 
guilty of idol worship. Tonu Rabbonin. And here we have a source that that views this same situation of phonies not from the public side standpoint, but from the phony himself. And you see that he is asking for trouble. One who does not need stuck up and creates the impression that he does, the following source addresses that. So the Eno, one who makes himself as if he has uh, as if his eyes are blind, Vamatsves Bitno and he he um, inflates his belly, creating himself like he's uh, a famished individual and you have uh, belly bloating, which is a sign of uh, intense uh, hunger. Shoko, one who creates this situation as if he is uh, lame. Uh, he will eventually experience these things in reality, and as he doesn't, he doesn't leave this world until he actually, actually suffers from these things that he was that he was feigning prior to this. Someone who receives charity and does not need it. At the end, he won't leave the world until he actually needs stoka. Tanan hosam. Ein mechayven oisoylimkor es beisoy ve'es klei tashmisho. The source says that we do not expect of a person who is in need of money to sell his house, uh, nor to sell his vessels. In other words, it's true that a person... Uh, is in a situation where he doesn't have money and if he were to sell off his house so he would have money but we don't expect him to do that the Gemara asks Velo is that really so that we have no expectations in this area if someone doesn't have let us say he doesn't have cash but he has golden vessels. He should sell the golden vessels and replace them with silver vessels. And with the balance, he will have the means of buying what he needs right now. So that before taking stock, you do have to sell off your wares. Or if he was using silver vessels, he can sell them off and buy copper ones that are, of course, less expensive. And the balance of value in, that he receives in the sale, he will use for his own needs. And all this is before taking charity. So how do we resolve these two sources, where the first source says, you don't have to sell your clay tashmisho, and here we see that you do. So we have several approaches to this topic. Number one, Omar of Zvid, lo kashya. There isn't any contradiction. Ha b'mita v'shulchan, ha b'kaisos ukaros. If you're dealing with a bed and a table, those items, one would be expected to sell the more expensive version and buy the cheaper one. When it comes to cups and, and bowls, cups and plates or cups and bowls, one is not expected to do so. The more below, what is unique about cups and saucers that we say not necessary to Omar Mi'isili, the person can say, uh, it's, uh, I, I find it unpleasant, literally it's disgusting to me to use the, the other kind. Well, Mito V'Shulchanami Omar, with regard to the bed and table, could he not also say, Loma Kabbalu I can't withstand it. I, 
I'm used to this. I can't withstand using the, the other kind or the lesser kind. So the Gemara answers, Omar Rava Brei de Rabba. He has a, uh, another approach to the issue of what we expect him to sell. The Machresha de Kaspa. The, the term Machresha is something that's, uh, if, if Rashi himself does not, uh, does not explain the word. So in, in the following the, we'll say the absence of a Rashi explanation, one would ordinarily translate this word as a plow. In other words, someone had a, um, a silver plow, uh, using a, a plow made of some other less expensive material wouldn't make one bit of difference to the individual. And that kind of vessel one would be expected to sell off. There's a commentary on the side that's quoted uh, that sachresha is a type of a type of scrubbing, uh, maybe scrubbing brush or something else that someone uses in a bathhouse where he scrapes his flesh with this item. Uh, the lotion on the on the side is megardin bobeves hamerchos. One megardin legarade is to to to, to scrape or to to rub. Uh, with this in the bathhouse, so it's a it's a type of vessel apparently that using a lesser uh, valued vessel that accomplishes the same ends would make no difference to the individual. So we would expect him to sell the machresha de kaspa to buy a lesser kind of machresha. And number three, Rav Pop Amar Lo Kashia. Uh, there is no. Uh, contradiction between the two sources above. Kan kodim shiavu lidei giboy, kan laachar shiavu lidei giboy. The word giboy means uh, from the word govet to be collected from. If it's a person that, let us say, simply when he is taking the charity, he has vessels. But he doesn't have, and when he is taking to charity, he doesn't have any cash. He really needs cash uh, for his uh, purchases of, uh, of food, his immediate needs. He doesn't have cash for his immediate needs. So a person like that is is called Kaidem Shiavalu Degiboy. So he does not have to sell off his vessels. However, there are people that will ask for money that ha- right now have their own funds. They don't need to take the, the, the money right now. And yet they do. People like that that take money when they don't have to, they in effect are going to owe that money back to the public funds. They are going to be collected from. Well, people like that who put themselves in the position by taking money they didn't need to take and thereby incurring a debt to the public funds, they are going to be expected to sell off their wares as was mentioned above. Now we take a look at Rashi to see this explanation. On the upper part of the narrow lines, Kan Kodim Shavalu Degiboy, Hadisnan Ain Machaivan, that which we said, you don't have to sell off your wares. Meikorakoi. It's coming, it's speaking about a situation at the outset. Kishipol Lito Leket Zuz. Leket is one of the forms of agricultural tithes that are left for the 
poor. So when he's coming to collect the leket, the poor man's tithe, and he didn't have 200 zuz, he wasn't, he didn't have that amount of money, which by having less than 200 zuz, you are thereby entitled to take the leket. A person might have had, let us say, he had in his possession 199 zuz. Well, at that moment, he's entitled to take the poor man's tithe. Had he sold his clay tashmisho, it would have put him over the minimum amount, and he would have been able to, he would then not have been allowed to take the leket. Nevertheless, if right now you don't have 200 zuz, you don't have that in your savings account, we do not expect you to sell your wares in order to put you over that minimum amount to thereby deprive you of the leket. So regarding a person like that that has 199 zuz or less, we don't expect them to sell his wares. The hard is not the source that says we do expect him, as we saw, to sell off his more expensive wares and replace them with cheaper ones. What does that mean? After this guy brought himself to that, Bezdin will then insist that he sells off his wares. Uh, the individual, before he took the, the tithes or the charity, he had 200 zuz. And he, he took anyway, the different types of tithes left for the poor. And then it was discovered that he was a man of means. When we say a man of means, it means he had 200 zuz, and thereby ineligible for taking the leket And he did anyway. Based in Boyin Vagoven Heimenu, the court will come to collect from Mashin Notal that which he took, uh, we'll say illegally. And if he doesn't have the means of compensating Beisdin for that which he took, that kind of person is expected to sell off his wares and use and buy cheaper ones. Before we continue with the Mishnah, let us just make a, uh, a general remark uh, regarding charity and the issue of the fakers and basing ourselves on a Gemara in Maseches of Zorah, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, one, being that there is this concern of fakers out there, one is obliged to seek out a we'll say, a charity fund where the one in charge of it is very responsible. And he will screen out the fakers, the phonies, and, there, and, and thereby ensure you that when you are giving to that fund, it will go to those who are truly needy. Um, so that's, that's our uh, individual obligation to give charity but to a to a charitable situation, a charitable need concerning which you have a sense of you, you have a, a type of guarantee that it's going to go to those that are truly in need. 
Before we continue with the new Mishnah, we have a general topic heading on the side of the one. They call this a no say clearly, clearly being a general topic heading. And we also indicate that this goes till Samach Tesom. We have a rather long topic ahead of us. Gvias Parnosa, what you call Nedunyo Isur Nechsi. It's a collection of funds in anticipation of a uh, an orphan girl's marriage. Um, Parnosa and Mizonos. Parnosa includes the dowry, and there's a concept known of Isur Nirsi. Isur Nirsi is a tenth of her father's estate. It's a rabbinic enactment that even though on a Torah level the male heirs are the sole heirs of the estate, rabbinically speaking, female. Uh, females, girls that uh, are left in the fam- that are also uh, or, um, we'll say orphaned by the man's passing, they rabbinically are entitled to receive Isur Nirsi, a tenth of the estate. So we're going to be dealing with um, appropriation of funds from a father's estate for Parnosa, as we said, that's the Nidunyo and the Isur Nirsi, Umezonos, Mezonos of the the uh, food money from a, a woman's or a girl's uh, a girl's father's estate after his passing the Mishnah Midata Yisoma is a is a girl orphan we speak about orphan we're speaking in these sukis about orphan from father and she's married off by her mother or by her brother. Midaita, meaning with her approval. And she, even though she approves to the following financial arrangements, and they, they wrote over, uh, it's like you say, you write a check. In other words, they assigned toward her marriage a hundred or fifty zuz, and and she, as a as a as a um, minor, she agreed with that. When she reaches adulthood, when she becomes, she goes over twelve years of age, which is halachically speaking a gadola, she can extract from them that which is fit for her, and that is a reference to. The Isur Nechosim that and Rashi points that out, the tenth of the estate. So even though as an as a minor, uh, upon entering Nisuin, consummation of marriage with a man, uh, and her agreement, we could say her foregoing of parts of the estate, when she reaches adulthood, she can she can say, I want the I want that which is coming to me. Very simply put, the the forfeiting the mechila of a minor ain mechilasa mechila, as Rashi terms it. The uh, Mishnah continues. Rabbi Yudah Omer im hasi es abas arishona. If the father, while he was alive, married off a daughter, his first, we'll say, the first daughter, and uh, then he died, and there are more girls to be married off. Yinosim l'shniyo kederech shenosan l'rishona. Then we would give to the second daughter ta- toward her marriage the way the same amount that the father had given for the first 
daughter's marriage. And we add here, even if it's not a tenth of the state, whether it's less, whether it's more, the main point, according to Rebuta, is that in a case where there was precedent established by the father himself during his lifetime, that is the amount that we would give toward the marriage of a subsequent daughter. The terms oni and, and, and oshir are terms that will uh, wait for the Gemara to explain. Because they literally mean that sometimes a person is poor and becomes rich, or he's rich and becomes poor, but again, that's, uh, that's just a literal translation. We have to leave room for further interpretation. So sometimes you have this change in status, and, uh, and therefore uh, you can't rely on, on, on father precedent. And as a result, we have to assess the uh, value of the estate and, and, and in accordance with the assessment uh, provide for her. On the side of the Gemara, we have the Nosei topic heading, Dino Shel Shmuel, Kishimasian, that means the law of Shmuel, Kishimasian Esa Yesoyma, Veroitsim Likboa, Kamo Loseis Lenedunya, when an orphan girl is, to, is being married off, and we want to establish how much to give toward her dowry, Shomin Be'av, Kamo Ho'av, Imhoya Bachaim, how much would the father, if he were alive, Hoya no saying law. What would he give her? The Gemara. Omar Shmuel. Lefarnosa Shomen Bav. The term Lefarnosa is uh, a term we'll associate here with the dowry, the amount of money we give a girl toward her marriage. How much, uh, sh- how much money would she bring? Would she bring with her into the marriage? So how much is it? if the father is not around to himself, give the money. So, Shomenbav, we make an assessment uh, in accordance with the type of man that father had been. Was he a, a generous type individual, a magnanimous type individual, or a miserly type person? The Gomorrah raises a question, and we have a uh, new marking scheme. You'll see if you scan down the page, you'll see how this geometric form, the trapezoid or volcano shape, appears in an alternating direction. So on the side under the Mivneh heading, you see that the uh, the volcano with the narrow part or the cone facing upwards, that's Kushos al Shmuel. They represent questions on Shmuel and the inverted form indicates Chuvos responses. Mesve. We have a Tanaic source that presents a question. Habonos the daughters are nizonos, they receive their food um, and their parnosa from their father's property. Ketzad, how is this done? Ein omrim, we don't say if the father were alive this and this amount is what he would have given. Rather, we assess the value of the estate and we emphasize, we wrote in between the lines, In other words, not like Shmuel. We don't do that. We don't assess what the father would have given, but rather we make an objective assessment of the estate 
and Venoslam, based on that, we would provide for the girl. My love, Parnosas Habal. Now, we had dashed underlined the word Umis Parnosos, and uh, we hesitated in translating that, and because right now we want to assume, in order to formulate the question, that it means the Nidunya, the dowry. And if it means the dowry, like Shmuel said, then this source would be a problem, because it says Shomen Esen Achosim, and not Shomen Ba'av. Omar Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchok, he responds in defense of Shmuel, Lo, rather, Parnosas Atzma. We're talking about a different form of Parnosa. It means the food that she eats while she is still with the brothers. The Gemara asks, how can you say that Umisparnosos means the food that she eats while she's still a, a part of her, her father's household with her brothers there? The ha Nizonos umisparnanos umisparnasois kotoni. The the Tanaic source itself seemed to make reference already to food in, by using the word uh, nizonos, my love, achas, and and since it used both expressions nizonos and misparnansos, so is it not so that achas parnosas abal the achas parnosas asma that one of the two is in fact the nedunya. And still it says, Ein Shomin Ba'av, contrary to Shmuel. Lo, that's not so. It's true there are two expressions in the original source, Nizonos Umes Parnasos, but rather, Idi V'idi V'parnosos Atzmo, both words, Nizonos and Misparnos, are refer- references to the girl's own, we'll say, bodily needs, and not a reference to the dowry the funds that she brings into the marriage, below kashya, and the double expression is not problematic. Ha bachilo bishtia, ha bilavusha vikisuya. Nizonos is a reference to her food and drink needs, and misparnasos is a reference to the her various different kinds of clothing needs. Regarding these, we say we evaluate the property. The, we assess the value of the property. But when it comes to a topic not covered by this source, but rather namely the dowry money that a girl brings into the marriage, there we follow Shmuel. We assess the mindset, the character of the father, the deceased father. So, so far, Shmuel is okay. Tanan, we have a problem though. We quote from our Mishnah. Note, by the way, that this is a long question. Sometimes you find a change in the father's status, and therefore we have a problem in relying on that. Rather, in order to determine how much is to be given, we evaluate the the estate. We assess the amount the estate is worth. My oni umai oshir. What do those words mean? Those very words that we hesitated in explaining before. E neimo oni equals oni benechosim oshir equals oshir benechosim. If you say that the words are to be taken literally, poor meaning poor in terms of uh, financial status, rich in terms of financial standing. 
and there and, and with that in mind we have to then go back to the earlier part of this of the Mishnah and see what would he the other opinion say Michlal the Tanakama Sovar would you say that the Tanakama also holds Afilu Oshir Veheni Kedemei Kora Yahavina Law according to the Tanakama uh, we saw the Tanakama, let us say, uh, the earlier Tanaic opinion. We saw, for example, Rebuta said that if the father, when he was alive, married the, uh, a daughter off, uh, when it comes to the marriage, the second daughter will give to her the same as the first daughter. So, would you say that if the man had become, had been wealthy when he married the first daughter, before he died, he lost his wealth. And when it comes then to marrying off the second daughter after the man is gone, after the father is gone, we're going to give toward the second daughter the way the Meikara means the first daughter had been married. But Hall Lesley, there aren't funds anymore for that because before, his, before at the point that he died, the father became impoverished. Elolav, so therefore the term Oni and Oshir cannot be uh, in, uh, left as it is, uh, meaning uh, financial standing. Rather, Elolav Oni equals Oni Bedaas. Oshir equals Oshir Bedaas. It means a mindset. Oni would mean an, a, a miserly type individual. And Oshir, meaning wealthy, meaning a, a uh, benevolent or magnanimous type uh, mindset. Vikotani, um, Shomen es Hanechosim Venosnim law. By the way, we should look at Rashi, uh, Oni Bedas, Ein Bedaito Litain law Nedunyas Oshir Elo Nedunyas Oni. So the Chachomim had said, sometimes a person has this kind of feeling about him and to, to give little and sometimes a person has a change of mind or is whatever some type of internal psychological change causes him to give a lot so you can't determine what the father uh, what the father would have done because the father himself vacillates a person vacillates so in order to determine how much we shall provide the girl the chachomim said shomen es hanechosim venosnim law we assess the estate, how much it's worth, and in accordance with the value of the estate, will provide the, the the girl. Alma, what do you see from all of this? Lo azlinon basur umdina. We don't follow the assessment. Umda means an assessment of the father. In other words, in, in imagining what the father would have done. Utyufta. The Shmuel, and then this would represent a refutation of Shmuel. Shmuel said, "We evaluate the father. What we assess, what would he have done?" And here you say, "We don't do that." The Gemara responds, "Who the Omar Kerebi Yehuda?" Shmuel follows the Tanaic opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. The Snan Rabbi Yehuda Omer Im Hesi Basal Rishona. If the father had married off a 
daughter. And by having married her off, we see what kind of person he was. When it comes to marrying off the second daughter, we follow the Av, we follow the what he had done, what type of precedent he had set up. And uh, the approach that Rebuta mentions is therefore the basis for Shmuel, namely, evaluate the father. What would he have done? The Gemara asks, V'neimo halacha k'Rebuta, why doesn't Shmuel simply say, instead of leparnosa shomen ba'av, which is what Shmuel said at the opening of the Gemara, why doesn't Shmuel say, the halacha follows Rabbi Yehuda? Answer, Omar halacha had Shmuel stated that the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda, have amina, I would have thought, davka hesia, the goli daite. I would have thought that the idea of following the father is only when the father had actually married off a daughter, where he revealed himself in a concrete fashion what his thinking was. If you have a situation of a man that, that died without actually having married off any one of his daughters, lo. I would have thought that the the, the that concerning that the Rebbe Yehuda wouldn't have said what he does. Komash Malon Kaimo de Rebbe Yehuda. So Shmuel is revealing to us the underlying reason behind Rebbe Yehuda. Dazlinon Baser Umdena. The what what led Rebbe Yehuda to say that if the father had married off the first one, giving uh, if he had. Uh, married off a first daughter, giving her X amount of money. The underlying uh, and, and using that as the basis for the subsequent uh, daughter marriages, when the father is no longer around, the reason behind Rabbi Yehuda is that we we follow his mindset. Lo shno hisia, lo shno lo hisia, making no difference whether there was an actual demonstration of his mindset in concrete terms by an actual marriage having taken place, nor if he there wasn't an, was not an actual marriage that had taken place. We we analyze the kind of man he was. It's true that it's it's easier for us to conclude that if he had actually married the girl off, but. It's not that we're simply making what we, what we would, in the old days, we would call a carbon copy. That we're simply, or, or cut and paste of what the father had done because of an actual precedent. But rather, it's a function of our looking into the kind of person he was. Making no difference whether he actually had married a girl off or not. The uh, that which the source had mentioned under in Rebuta's name, married off, that he had actually married off, the the example cited in, in the context of Yehuda enables us to see how far the Rabbonin who argue on Yehuda go. Even though you have a man that had married off his daughter, revealed the kind of person that he is, the Rabbonon who argue with Rebuta, they will not follow 
evaluations. They insist on assessing the estate. So with this explanation, we can see that Shmuel, uh, Shmuel who said Shomin Ba'av, is based on the Tana Rebbe Yehuda. Rebbe Yehuda, he is the one that says we evaluate the kind of person the father had been, regardless of whether the father had actually married off a daughter or not. We look into him as a person. Was he a magnanimous type individual or a miserly type individual? Omar Lay Rava Lerafchista. Rafa points out to Ravchista Darshinon Mishimcha, they, they teach in your name, in your name, in your name, Ravchista, Halacha Krebuda, that the Halacha follows Rebuda, that Shomin Ba'av, that we evaluate the mindset of the father in order to determine how much to give toward the orphan girl's wedding. Omar Le, Rav Chista responds, Yehei Rava, that's an uh, Aramaic expression, in Hebrew it's a Yehi Ratzon, in which it should be the will of heaven, Kol, Ki, Hani, Milim, Al Yasa, all kinds of positive teachings like this, Tidrushu, Mishamoy, should be said, should be said, in my name. The Gemara asks, regarding Rava, Mi Omar Rava, Hachi, would Rava have said such a thing? In other words, from the context of this discussion, it seems that Rava also uh, subscribes to this idea of uh, Shomen Ba'av. Vahatanya, but we have learned in the following source, Rebbe Omer, Bas Hanizoynes Minhoachin, a girl who is an orphan girl, she's supported by the estate inherited by her brothers. Noiteles Isur Nechosim. She receives, toward her marriage, she receives one-tenth of the estate. Simply put, we're not Shomen Ba'av Yoma Rava and Rava himself rules like that. So a moment ago we got the impression that Rava holds like Rebuta Shomen Ba'av. Here, we don't see that. We see Isur Nechosim, a tenth of the estate. That's an, object, an objective standard, not a function of Shomin Ba'av, assessing the father. Lo Kashya. There is uh, no contradiction in presenting Rava holding both of these opinions. Ha de Amidne, ha de lo Amidne. The word Amidne, like the word Umdena, which is Shomin, means evaluated. Hadi Amidne means where we know we had we we had evaluated and, and and known the father's mindset, where we knew his mindset, we knew the kind of person he was. So then you would follow the ah uh, that would be like Rabbi Huda had said. If we have a situation where we did we didn't know the kind of man he was, then in the absence of knowing the kind of man he was, we would do the iser nixi. So that Rebbe's ruling that uh, Rava subscribed to is a case where lo amidne. Rashi adds, for example, the man lived far away, didn't live amongst us, and we, we never really got to know who he was, what kind of person why he was. Was he a vatron? Was he a 
magnanimous for, for, uh, type person or a Kamsan or a miserly type person. Hochi nami mistabra. This, this approach is also likely that where he was, his mindset was known, Rebbe himself would say shomen ba'av. The Amar of Adabarava, Maise Vinosan law, Rebbe, Echod Mishne Monsor Binachosim. It was an incident that Rebbe provided for an orphan girl, one twelfth of her father's estate. Now, one twelfth is not Isor Nechosim. Isor Nechosim, that we saw the line before with Reb, in Rebbe's source, is a tenth. So, Kashion Adodi, would you say that these two. Um, Records of Rebbe's ruling are contradictory? No, Elolav, Shmami, no, rather we have to conclude. Ha de Amidne, Ha de Lo Amidne, where the father's mindset was known to us, and in the case where Rebbe gave a twelfth, we knew that that's what the father would have given, that amount, that amount, the twelfth of the estate, or the value of a twelfth of the estate. And where Rebbe said, Isur Nechassim, that's hard the law of That's a case where it was not known, and where it's not known, so we follow the, we'll call it the rabbinic enactment of one-tenth. Shema Minah. So this is uh, conclusive. This uh, point of uh, our original resolution of, of uh, Rava is conclusive. Gufa. We now present the Tanaic source cited above in a more complete fashion, Omar Rebbe, Bas Hanizoynes Menoachin, Neitelas Isur Nechosim, a daughter that's being supported by her brothers, in other words, she is a, her, an orphan, her father passed away, she's drawing her support from the estate, when she is to get married, she receives a tenth of the estate. Omru lo l'Rebbe. They, uh, the Rabbonon asked Rebbe, L'dvorecha, according to you, Min sheyesh lo eser bonos uben. Imagine a man died leaving ten daughters and a son. Ein lo laben b'mokli bonos klum. Is it so that the son will get nothing in the presence of these daughters? If one daughter gets a tenth, ten daughters get ten tenths. That means all of it. To the girls and the son, they're getting nothing. Omar Lohen, Kach Ani Omer. Rebbe responded and said, Thusly I say, Rishayna Noiteles Isur Nechosim. Now, the thinking right now, Rashi explains uh, that this is the Salka Daitin, this is the initial thought. The Gemara will change it, though. The thinking is that the first girl to get married shall take one tenth. Shniah b'ma shishaira. The second girl will take that which is remains. In other words, a tenth of that which remains. So that if the estate was worth a hundred dollars, the first girl would get ten dollars. The second girl. After ten, you subtract ten dollars, you're left with ninety dollars. So the second girl would get nine dollars, leaving a balance then of eighty-one. Ushlishis b'mash shira, and the third girl 
would get that a tenth of that which remains. So that if $81 had remained, she would get $8.1. And then the girls would repool the money and divide equally amongst them. So you take you would take uh, ten dollars and nine, that's nineteen dollars, and then eight point one, that's nineteen plus eight point was twenty seven point one and divide it three ways. So you would get nine point oh three three per person. That's the calculation as we read the source as it is. The Gemara asks, why do things this way? Kol chado v'chado t'nafsho shakla. Why um, do you say that they repool? If the source is to be read as it is, that you have an estate, there are orphan girls, and we'll say year one, uh, year one after the father died, one girl gets married. So she gets of the hundred dollar estate, she gets a tenth. One tenth, that's ten dollars. Several years later, the second girl gets married. So she would then get one tenth of ninety nine dollars. Why, after so many years that all the girls get married in the course of the time, do they have to repool whatever they received? As the Gemara says here at the top of Amit Beis, we read this, read it again, Each girl should take, receive that which she received at that time and keep it. No repooling. Why is there a need for repooling? The Gemara says, you're right. You have to understand the source thusly. If you have a, situ- a family situation like that, where after the father died, all the girls end up getting married at the same time, then the method of, of, of distribution of funds would be, as we said initially, each one gets a tenth of that which Remains, and then there would be a repooling. The uh, Rashi says at the um, at the top, This was in the in the question: Shouldn't each one just get what they got at the time they get married? The Chachamim established that a orphan girl that gets married she gets one tenth of the estate. Vani says Rishon. Rishon the first girl to get married she is she re, duly receives one tenth of that which is in front of her and at that point there was a hundred dollar estate she gets ten dollars why would one think uh, that is why should one think that there should be a subsequent repooling of the funds so we said that that's correct. There is no repooling of the funds under circumstances like that. Rather, Rashi continues, If the girls came to get married at the same time, then there is this method. There isn't any girl that has first 
uh, cracks. Hilkoch there, because in this case we have let's say 10 daughters coming to get married at the same time in order that something should be left for the son then we go with that method that we mentioned that the first girl gets a tenth the second girl gets a tenth of that which remains and after each girl got a tenth of that which remained they repool, divide it out in that way something will be left for the son if there was a if there was a hundred mona, we said a hundred dollars. The first one would get ten monim. The second one would get nine monim. Vashlishes shmoyne mona v'isur shel mona eight point one mona. Now this method of taking a tenth of the balance that will always be a balance, and that ultimate balance will be the amount the son inherits. And the girls that are coming to get married at the same time will then repool their their tenths, their respective tenths, and then divide equally amongst themselves. We continue in the Gemara on the third line from the top. This supports the approach of Rav Matona. The Yom Rav Matona imbo linose kulam keachas. If all the girls came to get married at once, noitlois isur. We skip the bracketed section. Keechad noitlos. We read noitlos isur keechad. That's the the final reading of the Gemara. They will uh, they will take their their tenth uh, at once at one time. Now let's reread the uh, the bracketed section. Uh, the Gemara on the fourth line from the top said, "If they came to get married at all together at the same time, notlos isur echad." They take a total of one tenth of the estate. So the Gemara asks, "Echad salkadev?" Well, just one tenth. You have so you have several girls getting married, and all together they get just one tenth. Ela notlos isur keechad. They come to take their tenths at the same time. And that's as we already explained above. As you can see, there's a slash mark here indicating that that which follows is a new trend of thought. On the side, we have a no say, a topic heading, and, and we read, Haim Yesh Gil, is there an age, o matzav, or status, Shabbas, lo yichola ligvois Parnasasa, where she can no longer lay claim to the Isur Nechasim. Tonu Rabbonon. Abonois bein bogru ad shelo nisu, uvein nisu ad shelo bogru, ibdu mizono sehen velo ibdu parnasasa. Divrei Rebbe. The girls, the orphan girls, whether they bogru means they, rede- they rede- reached adulthood of uh, 12 and a half years of age, and they reached 12 and a half years of age before um, uh, entering Nisuin. Or they entered Nisuin, they consummated a marriage, Achila Bogru, prior to the age of Bagrus. So girls that were either or, either Bogros or Nisu, Ibdu, Mizanosam, they lose their food rights. The Lashon, the, uh, the text of the original Ksuba had stated, when, in other words, the Ksuba of their father with their mother had stated that I will support their, the girls 
until they reach Bagrus or until they are uh, married off. So that it's based on the original Suba text that the girls, that the daughters from, from that marriage at either one of these points in time do not draw Mizonos anymore. However, the Rebbe says, they don't lose their rights to the Esor Nechosim. Rebbe Shimon ben Omer Af Ibdu Parnasosan. Girls that reach Bagrus without having gotten married, they when get when they get married, they will lose the the uh, that that uh, privilege of receiving a tenth of their father's estate. As uh, Rashi says, Af Ibdu Parnasosan Isur Nechosim. They will lose that Isur, that tenth of the estate privilege. The Kosovar, he is of the opinion, that's Rabshim Lo is of the opinion, Lotikun Lonedunya, Elohecha de Minsiba Bekatnis Obenarus. The concept of drawing an, an, um, a uh, dowry from an estate uh, toward marriage is only re- with regard to uh, minors or Narus. Narus are girls up till between 12 and 12 and a half. Avobogra. But if you have a girl that reached Bagrus, Istalka Lome Basilagamri, she is completely removed from that household. Likewise, a girl that entered Nisuin as a Nara, since she entered the marriage without uh, without demanding the the Isur Nechassim, and she, Nisratzes means she willingly forfeited it, Ibda Parnasasa, Elama Sheposku, Avol Nises Bekatnus Lo Polig. However, if you have a girl that gets married as a minor, there you'll find no argument. Let's continue in the Gemara. According to Shimon Lazar, uh, girls realize that if they reach Bagrus and and have not yet got married, so they will never they won't get their their Eastern Nechosim. So what what I dare say trick? What do they do so as to not lose the Parnosa? Sochros lohen bailim umotzin lohen Parnososan. They hire men to uh, agree to marry them prior to their reaching Bagrus. And upon that marriage, this uh, we'll call this arranged or hired marriage, they will extract a tenth of their father's estate. Uh, exactly uh, as far as what happens after that, so you can you, one would surmise that then the these hired uh, husbands will uh, divorce the girls and uh, and that and and be done with it. But that way they uh, they were able to extract their tenth. As far as uh, uh, what I just said is a is just an extension based on uh, surmising what might take place, even though that's not necessarily the case. The main thing is that girls that were approaching Bagros and saw that they were not married yet and they're about to forfeit their tenth, they would they would do something unusual, and that is to hire men to marry them. Omar Rav Nachman, Omar Li Huna, 
Hilchisa Kerebi. So Rav Nachman quotes Ravuna saying that the law follows Rebbe, namely that a Gedola will also be entitled to the Nidunya, to that dowry. On the side, we have a new, uh, we have a Mivne heading for uh, this sugya. The diamond that we have already seen highlights Rebbe, and the house marking highlights Rava. These markings will be of benefit to us as the Gemara continues. So, Eisve Rava Rav Nachman. Yusayma, uh, an orphan girl, a minor orphan girl, Shisiyasa Ima O Ocheha, that was married off by her mother or her brother. This is a, a uh, power vested in mother or brother of orphan girl uh, to marry off the Yisoma, the minor uh, girl. The Kosvula Bemea Obuchamishim Zuz. And they wrote as her dowry a hundred or fifty Zuz. Yechoilahi Mishitagdil Lahoitzim Yodamashiroi the Nosein Law. When she becomes an adult, so she can extract from the estate that which she deserves, namely Isur Nechosim. This, by the way, uh, was our Mishnah. And now we infer Taimo Diktana. This idea that the girl is entitled to uh, extract from the estate the Isur Nechosim is because she was married off as a minor. Ha Gedoyla Vitra. However, if you're dealing with a Gedola, she would forfeit. Well, that is like Reb Shimbin Olazar. That's not like Rebbe. So that our Mishnah, which is a, we'll say, an, a Stam Mishnah, that section of the Mishnah has no name associated with it. It would appear to be authoritative. It's, uh, therefore, a problem uh, for uh, that's Rav Nachman's ruling. Rav, Rav Nachman ruled like Rebbe, and yet here you have a Stam Mishnah, an unnamed Mishnah, which, as we say, that carries with it authority, uh, which uh, reflects the opinion of Rabbi Shimon Olozer, not Rebbe. Loi Kashya. There is no contradiction here. In other words, ruling like Rebbe and accepting our Mishnah. Ha de Machoi, ha de lo Machoi. That which Rav Nachman said. Uh, like Rebbe, that the Gedoyla, the adult girl, does not forfeit the Isur Nechosim, that's Demachoy, where she literally protests, where she insists on receiving it. Uh, the uh, in- inference that we made from our Mishnah that Gedola Vitra, that the Gedola would be would forfeit it, is Delo Machoy, where she, uh, she kept quiet, she didn't say anything. She didn't insist on her receiving that balance. Hachi nami mistabra. This approach, this uh, resolution of machoi versus machoi, the uh, that that will make a difference is also likely. The in Cain, if you don't accept this distinction, then kashio de rebi ad de rebi, you'll find an internal contradiction within rebi. The Sanya 
Rabbi Oimer, notice the diamond again. This is here to enable you to to uh, uh, associate the statement here with that which was above. So it says here, Rabbi Oimer, Bas Hanizoynis Menoachim Noitelis Iser Nechosim, a girl that is being supported food-wise by her brothers. That tells us something. That tell that tells us we're dealing with a katana. You're dealing with a minor. It says she gets. She is entitled to the Iser Nechosim. Upon her marriage, she gets a tenth. Nizainus in, Shaina Nizainus low. Now, Nizainus means a Ketana is entitled to the Eastern Nechosim. If she is a Gedola, she's not entitled. That means the Gedola Vitra, the Gedola forfeits. Ah, but above where we saw Rebbe in a diamond, he said, Lo Yibdu Parnasasan, Elalav. Shma mino, rather, in order to resolve what otherwise would appear to be a contradiction, you have to say ha de machoi, where she insists, where she verbalizes, she vocalizes, she protests that she wants that Easter Nechosim, then that's the Rebbe above, that lo ibn Parnasasan. Where she remains silent, that's what we infer from this most recent diamond. Only a Tana would receive, but a Gedola who remains silent forfeits. Shma Mina. This resolution is therefore conclusive. Omar lay Ravina Lorava. Omar Lon Rav Ado Bar Ava Mi Shimcha. We have a few names right here in this line of Gemara. Ravina speaks to Rava, and Ravina reports that Rav Ado said in your name, namely Rava's name, Bogra Eino Tzricha Limchois. Niseis Eino Tzricha Limchois. Bogra Veniseis. Three points. Let's go over them. Number one, she reached Bagrus. She doesn't have to protest. In other words, even if she remains silent, she does not lose her rights to the Isur Nechasim. If a girl is Niseis, she does not need to protest. She's Niseis. She gets married as a na, even as a Nara. I emphasize even as a Nara, meaning, technically speaking, she's an adult. She's Niseis. Even if she is a Nara, she does not lose her Isur Nechassim. However, if you have Bogra Niseis, she reached Bagrus and Entered marriage, Tzricha Limchos, in order not to forfeit the Isur Nechosim, she has to speak up. We ask, Mi Omar Rava Hachi? Does Rava really say that? That a girl who is a, a Nara, that's Niseis, she does not lose the Isur Nechosim even if she remains quiet? Use your arrows and the markings. What did you, what did we see above? We saw Rava 
pointing out as a question to Rav Nachman the case of Yisoma. That means the case of our Mishnah, which involved the Katana. And we made an inference that only a Katana, she's a minor, she's under 12. Only in that case does she not forfeit the... Uh, if she married as a Katana, she does not forfeit the Eastern Nechassim. However, as a Gedola, now a Gedola means over... 12 years of age, including a Nara. Hagedola Vitra. And here, we're pointing out that Rava says about a Nara, who is a Gedola, she is low Vitra. So that, this uh, Gemara, the question that we're raising, uh, which we're asking a question, would Rava have really said what he said most recently? That, namely that which uh, uh, Rav Ado said in Rava's name that a Nara who is Nises is low vitra but above Rava had seemed to indicate that she is vitra she does forfeit and above in the discussion when, the, when Rav Nachman was confronted by the question that Rava posed the Shani lay and the response that had been given above was that if she protests then the Gedola does not forfeit but if she remains silent then the Gedola forfeits so we see in conclusion of this particular question we see that a girl who's Nises as a Nara if she remains silent she forfeits. Yet, three, four lines ago, in the number two of the three halachas, we saw Nises, that if she enters Nisuin, even as a Na'ara, she does not have to protest. So, this would appear to be a contradiction within Ravaz. The Gemara says, Lo Kasha. We're focusing on a Na'ara Shenises. Does she have to protest in order to retain her rights to the Eastern Nechosim? Or, or that's not necessary? So it depends on whether she is Mitzina Minayu or not. Let us go through the Rashi in order to appreciate this. Rashi, just across from here, a line or two down, you see a triangle. Ha, the Omar Rava, Nises Benaris, Enot Srichalimchos, a girl who enters Nisuan as a Nara, doesn't have to protest. She's entitled to her Yisur Nechosim. This is a situation where she's receiving her food support from the brothers, from that very estate. After she entered Nisuin, the Mishum de Komitsa Minayu, who de Koshoska, Velo Mochla, Parnasosa. Because she continues to draw support, Mizonos support from them, it's not comfortable for her. In Hebrew, they use the expression, Lo Naim. It's not a pleasant, it's an uncomfortable situation uh, for her to 
insist on receiving even more. After all, she is being supported by them for food support at this point in time. She's true, she's a Nisua, but she's still a Nara. And if she is still drawing her food support from them, don't expect her to speak up. So therefore, her silence is not indicative of forfeiting. Her silence is simply because it's uncomfortable for her to speak up. Therefore, in a case like Mitz, where she's Mitzinov, where Mizonos, she's receiving support from them, her silence is not forfeiting. So she's still entitled to it. Rashi continues, the next triangle. And there, that which we inferred from our Mishnah, the, we'll say the first Rova house marking, that's the case above where we inferred that if she is a Gedola, she loses out. That's the low komitsuno. She's not. She is a Nara that entered Nisuin, and she's not receiving support from the brothers anymore. So there's no reason for her to remain silent. There's no uh, issue of comfort anymore. Uh, therefore, if she wants to get that, that Eastern Nechosim, she would have to speak up. As you can see, there's a slash mark indicating that that which follows is a new trend of thought. Omar Ravuna, Omar Rebi, Parnoso Eino Ketnai Ksuba. Parnoso, Rashi says, a reference to the Nidunya, the dowry a girl brings into marriage, is not treated like Tnai Ksuba, the Ksuba conditions. Ksuba conditions referred to here is the support that uh, orphan girls draw from their father's estate. The Gemara now asks, my Enoch uh, Rebbe says, as Rav Huna quotes him, saying that the Parnos is not like Tanaik what do you mean? What, what halachic ramifications does that statement have? And notice you see triangles on the side of the Gemara, we have a Nosei Mivne heading. The triangles represent Shlavim, these are stages, What did Rebbe mean by that? So we go through several stages. Number one, if you were to say, that Parnosa, the for Nidun, for the Nidunya payment to the girl, we can we can collect from Mishubodim. Now Rashi adds here, Mishabdi Shishibdu Achin that which uh, properties that the that the let's say that the brothers had sold off from, properties from the estate that the brothers had sold off, not that the father had sold them off. If if that's what it means, that the parnosa can collect that for the dowry purpose, we we can we're able to collect from those properties, and for the mizonos we cannot collect from those properties. My komashmolon, what is the big news that Rebbe is revealing here? Ha maisebecholyom, it happens every day, meaning it's poshit, motzian leparnosov, ain motzian lemezonos. It's very well known that for the parnosa, for the dowry, we will collect from those properties that the brothers had sold off. And for Mizonos, we do not collect from those properties. 
Rashi uh, points out uh, general background, but it's important information. Lo tarfami afilu shibdu achin. Even if the brothers had uh, set up those properties as a source of collection, and then source of collection, uh, my understanding is for the mizonos, for the girls' uh, um, um, food allowance. It still is not going to. Uh, be effective. Disnan, the Mishnah in Gitten teaches, Ein motzim lachilas peros l'shvach karkois l'mozon ishva bonos. We don't collect for these different kind of payments. Uh, we don't have to explain each one, but do note mozon habonos is featured here. Minachosim ishubodim ibnei tikun olam because of uh, the disruption to. Um, um, commerce and market activity namely if uh, a person would buy property uh, and the property he buys would be a source of collection for the previous uh, owners of female relatives uh, people would not buy and sell properties because they would feel uh, they, they would feel a, a certain a sense of risk who knows uh, one day uh, there's going to be an unlimited type collection for food maintenance of, of these uh, relatives of these female relatives that's called the tikkun olam consideration aval parnosa tarfa but for the parnosa um, uh, payment there the girl would be able to collect from those sold properties the rabbonan made the girls as if they were they were creditors at the point the father died. So they have first crack at all those properties. And why, with regard to Parnosa, do they have first crack at it? The Dover Kotsavu, it's a set amount, meaning the father died leaving an estate worth $100. At that point, it's known that the, the daughter that, su- that survived, the orphan daughter, she has a claim of $10. Therefore, people who buy properties uh, from the brothers... Uh, understand that they, if, if they want to, uh, if they want to remain safe from the girls' collection, they'll buy up to ninety dollars of the properties, leaving ten unpurchased, so that the girl would be able to collect from that. But when it comes to food costs, there's no fixed amount. We, the father might might leave an estate worth a hundred dollars, but we don't know how much. The, uh, the the food bill will run up. Therefore, we don't enable girls, the female the relatives, the uh, the isha and the bonus, to draw their mizonos uh, collections or payments from sold properties. That would thwart uh, economic activity. We continue in the Gemara, uh, uh, still not understanding uh, the quote of. Uh, Rebbe that Rav Huna cited that Parnosa is not like Naik Suba. If it's regarding this distinction regarding collection from Mishubadim, from properties that the brothers had sold, that distinction is too obvious. It's very well known. I don't need Rebbe to tell me that. Viela, rather, suggestion number two. Deilu Parnosa Gavya Nami Mimetautali Utnaik suba mimekarki gavya mimetatali lo gavya. 
Maybe this is a distinction. That for Parnosa, for the dowry payment, for the Eastern Nechassim, she has a right to collect even portables that her brothers inherited. The food payment that she is entitled to receive, that's collected only from the sale of land that they inherited, but not from portables. Maybe that's the distinction? Not so. Because Le Rebbe, according to Rebbe, Edi v'Edi Migve Gavya. As far as Rebbe is concerned, even tonight, Suba, the Mizono's payments, the girls, the women, are entitled to collect from Metaltalin. Desanya, the source, tells us this in the name of Rebbe. Echod Nechosem Sheshel Machrayas. That expression of nechosim sheshel machrayas means real estate, land. The echod nechosim shein lemachrayas. That's an expression referring to portables. Motzian lemozon ho'isho lebonos divrei rebbe. We do use them as payment for even the food needs of the uh, widow and the daughters. For, and if for food needs we will sell off portables all the more so for Parnosa. So Rebbe makes no, would not make that suggest, not that, he would not make that distinction as we just suggested. So we still don't know what was the distinction that Rebbe made, as quoted above, that Parnosa is not like Tanaik Suba. What does that mean? Lichidetanya for that which is taught in the following source. Ha'oimer, a person at the time of his death, he commands, he says, Al yozunu benoisov minichosov. Ein shomino. I don't want my daughters to be uh, supported for their food needs from my estate. Ein shomino. We don't listen to him because he is bound by for their support Mitnaik Suba. When he initially got married, that the marriage was predicated on their being supported from the estate after his death. He can't turn around and and, and abrogate that commitment. El Sorat so so there we don't listen to him. However, if at the at, at a man's death he says Al I don't want any payments toward the daughter's marriage to be made from my estate. There we will cooperate. We will listen to him. The issue of a dowry payment is not like the issue of food payments. Rashi at the toward the end of the page says. Al Yisparnasu Shaiminlo, Shaparnosa Eino Khoiv Olov Ketnaik Suba. The Parnosa is not a debt upon the man, upon the father, as Tnaik Suba is a debt upon him. Elachhoiv al Hayasimimhu Hecha Delo Tsiva Hoav Shalolafarnasim. The idea of a girl receiving uh, the Easter Nechosim from the estate is a debt upon the orphans in a case that the father had not indicated 
otherwise, where the father had not expressed an objection. So where the father did not express an objection, the the heirs are ob- it's their obligation to provide her with the parnosa. 